0: If more of supported the show, I'd
1: be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> <America's God
2: first.
0: laughs> the blah blah. to blah, the blah blah Send it now. Good vibes.
2: Good vibes. Good Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes.
0: breaths
1: of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a de do and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that.
3: the drive to understand consciousness as i mean what whatever it is your ants, poltergeist your, your your night terrors your your um you know your synchronicities and deja vus and stuff
0: okay guys welcome back to the Grammarica show we are going to be chatting with whitney fox a little bit later. And we've got uh the fifty dollar dynasty band out of Texas, the Brothers of Serpent, of course, Kyle from Brothers of Serpent, headline that, or uh lead singer for that. Uh so that's part of the introduction. Of course, Graham is not here this week because he is down in Spokane getting ready to kick off our Montana Mega Flood tour with Randall Carlson tomorrow. And uh I'll be heading down Wednesday to meet up with those guys in Montana. They're in Idaho today or Washington today, Idaho tomorrow, Montana on Wednesday. If you guys want to get in on some of those events that we do, head over to contact at the cabin.com. We got a couple scablands tours coming up in Washington this fall with Randall Carlson. Unfortunately, Egypt is sold out, but we got some cool stuff coming up next year. Magic on the mountain in California, 420 uh party down in Utah. We got an eclipse event that'll be coming up soon. So Edward, contact at the cabin.com. Check out the events. Get on the waiting list for something. Uh, join the mailing list so you don't miss anything. All that stuff. Other than that, support the show, guys. Grammerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly, make a one time donation if you can, when you can. Uh, it's more important than ever that you support the show. Support what you love. If you think we're doing a good job over here, if you're getting some value from our little podcast, head over to Grammerica.ca slash support today. Send some value back our way. Head over to AdultBrain.ca for the audiobooks. Over 60 titles available now. Uh, A Canadian Shame for my book. The uh, the new book of mine is In Their Own Words. So if you guys want to grab those, that'd be cool too. Join the chats, get in the conversation. americaca slash chats. I'll leave it at that, guys. Uh, you know, we got this fantastic chat with the band down in Texas, and then we'll jump into it with Whitney Fox which uh, is a little bit longer of an interview as well. So nice long episode for you guys. And next week will probably be just me because Grandma will still be out of town. All right, guys, enjoy. Okay, guys, welcome back to Grand America Show. Uh, I'm not sure who we're going to be chatting with later, but uh, we've got here for a little special intro. Join us for an intro. Our buddy Kyle from the Brothers of the Serpent does all our events with us. And, of course, has a kick-ass band, so we got Archer and Tyrell down here with us, and they're going to join us, tell them about their new album. It's super cool, because they're doing some value-for-value value stuff, which we that's right. we take pretty seriously here in Grime America. We've, uh, you know, kind of go with this value-for-value value thing, where you guys are supposed to send us more money than you do, but, uh, you know, that's the nature <laughs> of the relationship, So I've been lucky to meet all these guys already in the flesh. Archer's nice enough to let me play with his guns when I was down in Texas. (laughs) And uh, the next thing you know, I have a giant collection of guns of my own.
1: Look at what Uh, you've done, Archer. (laughs) I know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa,
2: whoa, (laughs) whoa. Only took a few days in Texas. Only took a few days in Texas.
4: You've
1: created a
2: monster. (laughs)
4: Yeah. I've created a Patriot. That's what I've created. Just,
1: yeah, he just, he just bought a new toy named Justin Time.
0: <laughs> it's unofficially named after Trudeau. Okay. Cause Please, he's, he's, he's doing a handgun freeze. So I rushed out and bought it oh, just in time. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a Ruger.
2: Yeah, I think I saw that. I think he sent me a Yeah, I sent that. you a pic. I sent oh, you a pic, pic of it. Yeah, man, So,
0: Kyle, pic. introduce the band and give us a little background on where you guys are from. I mean, you guys have obviously been at it for a while. Yes. Um, I mean, I was already watching your stuff when we first met you back in 2019, watching some of your live stuff, and that shit was already amazing, and it's no, thanks, just man. come a long way. I know you, you posted pictures of you in the studio and there's like fifty fucking tracks in there, and it's yeah. just it's craziness. You're you guys are real magicians, so let us Thanks, know uh, what it's all about and, and how it got started and why you decided to try. Because I do think this is probably the future of music too,
2: dude. I think so, man. I I've been completely um, just fascinated by the value for value model and the community that it builds in the podcast world, and I've always. Uh, had issues with the music industry. So we'll get into that. But um, first of all, the name of the band is $50 Dynasty. Um, Ty and I have been playing since high school together. So that was, we graduated in 2000. So we've been playing together for 22 years plus. And um, we've been through a number of bands. Ty's been in a lot more bands than I have, but, you know, side projects and all of the above. But, uh, we always, we always wrote music together, um, whether or not we were playing in cover bands and whatever we were doing, we were always sharing the music that we wrote with each other, whether it was lyrics or combining riffs together. And, uh, we eventually formed $50 dynasty. I don't remember the exact year. It was like 2007 perhaps. And, uh, Eventually, ended up with these the the four members: Chris Byman, who's not here, Archer Finley, Tyrell, Rolling Stone, and myself. And uh, we've gone on and off. We've played tons of shows. We've been very active, and then we've kind of like taken breaks and chilled out and kind of did our own thing. And uh, it was one of those sort of off seasons that started this album. Uh, Ty and I had a bunch of material that we were kind of wanting to dig out of the weeds and start working on, and we we did. And we were just working on it on the weekends, man, because we all have jobs and, you know, it's, but the music is a passion for us too. So it kind of like, I I guess for me personally, I was going after um, a music industry career ever since high school. But at a certain point, I just, um, I kind of changed my whole uh, drive and it, it, it went from driving to try to succeed in the music industry as it is to focusing just more on the art. And like, I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, obviously it would be amazing if, you know, the album went viral, right? Like that's, that's a dream come true, but the, the goal of creating the album and creating the music and working on the music. And I believe this is also true for Ty was to make it the best art we could make we had no forces acting on us to try to get it done in a certain matter of time um, we we did have jobs like I said before and and lives outside of the music so it did take a long time because we were mostly doing this on the weekends the writing process and uh uh yeah man it just it just kept growing into something bigger and um eventually we got the we got archer and and Chris byman the bassist and the drummer. Once we kind of had the full idea of the album put together, they stepped in and that's when we started the final recording process with all of the best equipment we could get our hands on in the best rooms that we could find in the area. Um, And yeah, I really, I really just am very happy with the product and I'm very proud of this work of art. Um, so that's that's my perspective on it. What about you, Ty? I
4: agree. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, it's 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 tough, that's, you know, like That's uh, amazing.
2: He agrees uh, with me.
4: <laughs> no, when when you're uh you're you're trying to do so many things and everyone's got all kinds of things going on, busy with your lives and want families and all that, um it's uh it's tough it's tough to uh to make this whole music thing happen so um you kind of i think when we started out we kind of wanted to be huge rock stars you know i think and uh really when this album came around we're just like nah screw it we're just gonna just write an album exactly how we feel it should be we just don't care uh, about making singles or anything like that it's just sometimes the song goes along a lot longer than uh, radio would like, and that's what kind of what we're all about with this album. It's just like how we feel it. It's just it's all um, organic and and pretty natural the way every song um, starts and ends. It's so it's pretty special. And then like uh, Kyle probably talking about the um, the theme of the album. I think it's it really it's yeah. probably one of the most important things I think, especially for uh, uh, you coming from your podcast background, Brothers and Serpent and, and um, Cosmographia.
2: Yeah, so we've been, you know, my brother and I have been digging into ancient mysteries and all this stuff and and the name of the album is precession. I'm fascinated by this phenomenon. It's the precession of the equinoxes, which is an astronomical phenomenon. Um it's it's interesting in and of itself, but the thing that's more fascinating about it is that ancient texts seem to be pointing at it in so many different cultures throughout the ancient past, the processional numbers show up in these texts. And and so precession has always been fascinating to me because of that. Like, why was it so important to them? But then at the same time, when you're reading the myths, they are also telling, um, beautiful love stories or stories about war, um, horrific stories in some cases, Uh, destruction of the world stories, apocalyptic stories. So all these different types of stories are in there, but embedded in those stories is this esoteric knowledge about some real phenomenon and perhaps more other real phenomena that maybe we still can uncover in the future. But um, this has, I think, fascinated all of us. Archer, the same thing. I mean, we've we've been fascinated with artifacts and stuff uh, ever since we've been hanging out.
0: Oh, definitely.
2: Yeah, and digging into you know more and more interesting and um, mind-blowing artifacts from the ancient past, suggesting that there could have been people before that um, that we have completely forgotten about, and yet their their abilities and their technol their technology or their level of technology has been preserved in some ways just by the numbers that show up in these ancient texts, like how did they find out this incredibly subtle phenomenon? So it's just fascinating to me. And I, and so it was like a theme of the album in a way is like, it's almost mourning a little bit. The loss of this possible, the the people, the stories that these people had, but it's also trying to tell love stories in some cases while also embedding ideas about astronomy and the motions of the of the uh, constellations through the heavens telling stories to us. So it's trying to incorporate a lot of what I just love about the ancient mysteries. And so that's for me personally in, in, a, in a lyrical sense. I see Ty is he's totally on board with this too. Like that, you know, these lyrics start coming out in certain songs and it's like, man, you know, this is what this is about. And then he would bring another piece of work, that he was working on some music to me and be like, dude, we need to talk about like some crazy snake bro shit (laughs) in this song. And uh, I
1: love the, I love the way you guys weave those lyrics in and out of here and the ancient, like I totally noticed the myths and the and oh, how cool. you, you weaved in and out of there. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I really liked it. Oh
4: awesome. did you listen to it, bro?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
4: All right. I think, yeah, I think uh, my
1: favorite song I think is maybe uh uh Soul maybe?
2: Yeah. Soulless. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Cool. I don't know. They're all pretty cool, but I mean there was a couple that really resonated with
2: me. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, okay, That's you, that's a good one. I I've I've had I've gotten that reaction a lot. It is it's uh I think it's an easy um, song to get into. Personally, for me, I just think it's catchy. Um, I love that song. It kind of stands out a little bit, too. What's your favorite? What's
0: each of your favorite songs on the album? Mm. You go first, Archer, because you didn't say much yet.
4: Yeah, I'd have to say mine is Where the Stories Lie. Yeah, I think. Just because it's got that creepy, kind of mystical feel to it. I uh, just love the rhythm of it and the the feel, the tone of the song itself. Just kind yep. of creepy, creepy and fascinating in a certain way. I don't know.
2: Like, yeah, man, I've I've all that's also been my favorite. I was going to say that mine have um, changed. You know, which one is my favorite? I've had different favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of my favorites is is Epoch. Which is, I think uh, that's my favorite. Yeah, like that one is. That one is really cool. It's also got this sort of eerie sense to it. There's a lot of that mood on the album uh, because it is eerie. You know that we are somewhat alone and seeming to be alone in such a vast
4: universe. Lots of reverb and delay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite it's one, Ty?
4: Made for. Uh... People that enjoy space broccoli.
0: <laughs> I'm high right now. <laughs> um,
4: my favorite, uh, I mean, uh, Epoch Immortality, Eternum. I don't know. Uh, this Is War, Deos. I just kind of float between those, the times. Uh, all, all the songs here. All the songs The <laughs> the most writing involvement. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. But yeah, no, no, it's, it's, I think it's great. You know what I think is so great about this album, though, really, uh, is is the fact that we have a theme to it, where so many uh, songs that you hear on the radio and, like, new albums, it's just, it's just, there's no direction. There's just just bullshit. There's no um, ideas and themes, and uh, I think it's so great, and, like, and, and that's what we were, like, with our first albums, that's what we were doing. Just, we didn't, we were just taking our best songs that we could write and just put them on in a record, and and there was just no theme and no direction to it. And this is the first album where we're like, we handpicked these, and we had, you know, like twenty four songs to choose from, even more than that, I think. Probably, Kyle. I mean, we had like thirty two. I don't
2: know. Yeah, a lot.
4: Yeah, but
2: uh, uh, most so, of them didn't so, cut the mustard, guys, and we needed to cut keep the it at twelve. It had to be we 12, to it at twelve songs.
4: Right. So we were very, very selective though. Right. And, and, and we wanted like everything to flow. Right. And just, just all be interwoven together. And, uh, that's what I think that's really special about it. Cause right now, I mean, everyone's writing about getting drunk at the bar and like getting, breaking up with their girlfriend and like, I don't know, no one, no one cares about like, no one looks up anymore, man.
0: So, Who's your favorite I band? Like, cool. what if you had to pick? Like, not your favorite, but say, give me a couple of your top. Like, influences. who inspires
4: you guys
1: for your for your genre? You know.
4: Well, shit, Kyle doesn't don't even have. <laughs> he doesn't even listen to music.
2: I was gonna say Steely Dan. Steely Dan.
4: <laughs> I love Steely Dan. But it's not even close to Steely Dan. <laughs> not close.
2: But uh, also, I think Pink Floyd. Like, oh, like some of that. Yeah. Some of the ways that they captured, I mean, I listened after getting into this type of, of, uh, esoteric stuff, I've listened to some Pink Floyd songs and I'm like, holy crap. Like, I think I know what he's talking about here.
4: Well, like we covered time. Yeah. Time, dude. (laughs) uh, That is an
2: awesome uh, song. I think, I think the whole thing is like an allegory, but uh, that's just me. uh, I just, I love that style. Yeah. What about you, Ty? Uh, I know you got some big influences.
4: Well, you know me, man. I started out as a 90s kid, you know, um, with all the 90s grunge bands, and uh, and then really came out uh, just Radiohead, really, and I just was really into them, and especially when Kyle showed me OK Computer, and I was like, oh, shit. And then and then Kid A just blew my mind, and, and Mezac, and then Hell's It. So I got really into that band, and we Started a tribute band, radio tribute band at one time. Uh, so that was a huge influence to me. Johnny Greenwood uh, is, is so yeah, good for, for the but guitar there's so work, much, you yeah. know, like, um, any like Allison Chains influence? I'm a, I'm a I'm big time influenced
2: yeah. by Allison in Chains. The vocals are influenced by Allison in Chains, absolutely. Also, Chris Cornell, I was a huge fan of Chris Cornell,
4: Euphoria SoundCloud. Morning, um, yeah, dude, Jeff Buckley for sure, though, man. Like,
2: and, and, I, I and, uh, stone temple pilots and yeah, no, they were a big influence on me too but this this album is just different the than, beatles it,
0: it's what, not what, genre,
1: like, what is it like what genre is it what would you say
0: oh shit hmm. i don't know because you guys got a little creative on the instruments too right yeah we brought in
2: strings we've got horns in there uh archer sometimes plays the double bass with the bow yeah.
4: um maybe maybe it's, maybe it's Meteoric rock? I don't yeah, know. Meteor, catastrophic rock. <laughs> or catastrophic rock. Or catastrophic rock. rock. Esoteric catastrophic.
2: rock. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there's 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 organs. There's electric piano. There's grand piano. Um. Did yeah, you bring
0: in any outside musicians, or do you guys play all of that stuff amongst we yourselves?
2: Bring in, we did bring in string players for sure, but the rest of did. us covered
0: pretty much everything. So what's a string like a harp or something?
2: The the violin,
0: the cello. I have a viola. Viola, I can't play it good? at all. No, oh, okay, no, not well, at all. I have out a the band, banjo bro. that I can't play too. You're oh wait, you're if I learn, I could be wait, wait. Say, so. If I learn, I can play in the band.
2: <laughs> Hell yeah!
0: All right, well, yeah, all right I will. You got to uh, pass the test. I'm going to start to practice. <laughs> <laughs> We're you're going to annoy yeah.
2: everybody on your street.
0: <laughs> They're pretty sick of me already. Between the dead <laughs> animals and the two strokes,
2: dude. The violin is one of the hardest instruments to learn to play. Oh I've yeah, on it for a long time. It's it's really tough.
0: It's fucking retarded. I'm no good. Why not just put a fret there? I mean, yeah. I don't Fret's, you know, I yeah. just don't get why you wouldn't just put a fret there.
4: We've got it easy uh, over
0: here with the guitars.
4: Yeah, <laughs> we, we kind of. I kind of got into a lot of uh, Hans Zimmer and some of the soundtracks and stuff like that, and and that that kind of got thrown in there. And then there's one little organ part that I stole from Typo Negative oh, that thic- got turned Mellotron. out. The old Tron.
2: I, I would put the Mellotron, which is this like sort of combination keyboard string synthesizer thing that sounds super
4: fake. Synthesizer.
0: It's a
2: synthesizer.
4: synthesizer.
2: A- He'd put it in every song. I would leave the studio. Well, we gotta go try to it out.
0: Oh, it's like the new band with the like uh, auto tune. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a (laughs) synth pop is coming back. I
1: mean,
2: for sure. I'd I'd come in the studio after after we'd had a weekend working on it, and I wouldn't know. And I'd like go to play the song, and there's just like, (laughs) (laughs) sounding like typo negative. (laughs) I was like, what the hell? So it was like,
0: whoa. it was this giant
2: <laughs> battle of like me turning down and muting the Mellotron and then coming back later and Ty had cranked it up and unmuted it. And
0: <laughs> what's so, what about a theremin? Did you ever use a theremin? We didn't, we did not use the theremin
2: and I'm going to blame oh, that God. on the bassist.
0: Whoa. whoa, What? <laughs>
2: We're oh, going to blame that on Archer that, Finley. Uh, are you- that
0: instrument is completely uncontrollable.
2: It's hey, all over It's uncontrollable. Hey, listen. It's, it's, oh, a, are you? it's not predictable, <laughs> man. You're a bassist, and you're an electrical engineer. We demand a theremin. Uh, your demand is rejected. <laughs> Unless
4: you want to play it yourself. Right? Yeah, I'm they playing got- it. <clears throat> all right, I then, then go for it.
2: So and this I is another you- possible end of the band. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't built us a theremin, Gene. Hey, I'm already just, playing a I'm- big, the biggest fretless
4: instrument you can get. So- you let us down.
1: <laughs> well, well, the next album can be themed on like high strangeness or something. There
4: you go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, he did play the double bass. Good job. But the theremin is is uncontrollable and like it, it's it uh, a it's a rookie move. Too gimmicky
0: for me. Rookie move.
4: Everyone just wants to see someone play the theremin live just to see if they can actually hit a note in tune. What about... Uh, Probably the hardest thing to do with the theremin.
2: You know what you could do? See, what GMA could do is he could design a three-dimensional CNC machine that we could program the notes into it, and it would play the theremin.
0: You could do that?
2: We could do that, yeah. You can do that. For, well, Archer can do that.
0: I Could know. you program me a little uh, podcast co-host?
2: Uh, <laughs> words are <laughs> just sound. Hey, Graham is great.
4: Well, man. listen,
0: I've got thousands of hours of this guy talking.
4: Well, let's get you made. <laughs> hey, sign, sign, assign, you know, samples to each button. You're good to go. Take Hey, 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 hey. Take a CNC machine and why don't you just draw out a big, long theremin and then shove it up your ass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It'd be more likely that Graham could replace me with some clever sayings and jokes. He could just have like 15 Darren buttons. Just three of them make fun of them in some way. I can't your hear you. 15
2: it. most frequent sayings. Interruptions. In I'll just there. keep interrupting yeah.
0: people. With, uh, <laughs> so here's a, because I'm going to if am I going to get so, where is the album right now? It's not on Spotify oh, yet, right?
2: Yes, that's right. Okay, so release. We are releasing it on the solstice, which is the 21st of
0: June. Um, will you be home yeah. yet? Will you just be we, randomly in the middle of the country when your album comes out? That's right.
2: I'm going to be randomly in the middle of the country, hopefully on the way to Serpent Mound, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Um, but, uh, We had to release it. I I personally wanted it to be released officially on either a solstice or an equinox. I would have preferred the spring equinox, but, you know, you can't win everything. Um, But it is available right now. Uh, There's a a special access pre-release on our Patreon page. So it's $50dynasty.com slash Patreon or Patreon.com slash $50dynasty.
0: We'll put a link in the show notes.
2: Yeah.
1: And And that gives you you a podcast feed with it, right? That's right. There's
2: yeah. an RSS feed. Now, those are high-resolution audio files, so they're very big. They don't stream well, so I, you can download them. Um, I will be putting um, MP3 versions up available, and I've also written some things about each song in the, in the Patreon feed, and we're going to keep the feed going. Right now, it's 12 bucks a month which is not going to stay that way, but it, there was only one tier. And it's basically like, if you want the album early release, you can pay 12 bucks for it. Right. And then we'll, we're going to make lower tiers on the 21st where people can do the value for value and pay what they can afford and want. If they want to support the band, we'll also have, you know, a PayPal and, you know, Bitcoin wallets and whatever else we can come up with
0: and make it, people can uh, donate in whatever
2: way they want. Gas cans.
0: <laughs> Honestly the gas is worth more than the bitcoin these days. Yeah. Gas
2: and bullets yeah. please. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to dump your if you want to dump your bitcoin, you know, we'll have a wallet for it. Um so yeah, we're we're we are trying to do the value for value model and it will be available in high resolution. We recorded these tracks at a much higher sampling rate and and um quality than is standard in the industry right now. So, and it, and it is totally obvious when you listen to really high quality, high resolution audio files versus the compressed versions that people typically get, or if you're blue sending it over Bluetooth, it's compressed. Um, so it is, the album has a lot of depth. We used a lot of analog gear, many, many hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of high end analog gear went into creating this album. We will be producing vinyl as well. Uh, 180 gram, 180 gram vinyl is going to be a double um, vinyl
0: album. Can I have one? I see yes. the neat thing where you, I don't have a record player. I'm going to melt it into a cool collectible dish for my desk. Okay. Yeah. Just full disclosure. So that's still pretty cool, right? I think that's still pretty cool. Cool. So you guys got a sponsor. I mean, I'm suggesting if you don't, maybe I'll do it or someone should, I think, uh, get this onto the No Agenda show because they're the biggest value for value community in the world. And as far great. as I know, this is the first value from, for value album release ever.
2: Yeah. And so now you have to understand that that physical copies are not going to be given away for free. What? We're not making CDs <laughs> and records to give away. Those are extremely expensive. Just so those, digitally. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, the music itself, in other words, the digital versions are all going to be free. If you choose to go to Amazon or Apple iTunes, you will have to buy it there. But we couldn't set the price at zero. There's no you. You can't do it. It's weird. They, they won't let you. That's do that. because they it's
0: need because their thirty percent.
2: They make a percentage, make a percentage so don't yeah. go there and don't buy it from there. If you they want can't to pay...
4: make a percentage off of zero,
0: yeah. If you want to, if you want to pay
2: twelve bucks for the album, just just drop us twelve bucks in our website. We'll have a donate button there, fifty dollar dynasty and just download the album from the website.
0: So, will it be available on Spotify so it, too? So people, will. so people can just like they could just. Listen to it anyway absolutely. on Spotify and give you the 12 bucks. That's I mean, right. So,
4: yeah. we, we want on... people to use it like YouTubers, you know, like if like be... you want to use it in your videos and stuff like that. That's yeah, right. Can
1: we'll... we use it to, uh, so we can put it? Well, in that, the was show, my, yeah, that was my Yeah, that was my thing. Music?
0: Yeah. I want to absolutely 100%. I'll play if you guys are fine with it. You know, I'll the next uh, few shows we'll play all the favorite songs you guys mentioned here. We'll start with, I think, what was it, Epoch, right? Uh,
1: is there a reason to go from one to twelve on this? Like oh, I, should, did, should go to I listened one? to it from one to twelve just in case there was some sort of linear progression. There is Play a awesome linear bro, progression.
2: Okay. There is a linear progression. It's complicated to explain, but it was the best arrangement that we could come up with. That kind of I don't I don't know if this would mean anything to you, but somewhat like the path of the fool.
0: Well, we'll do twelve. By- I, that means a lot to me. I mean, I am I'm part fool myself, and I know yes. a bunch of them. We all are, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll do the whole thing the next twelve episodes.
2: Awesome, man! That'd be that be yeah. really cooler. And and Good, so, man. just to finish the thought, uh, we will. We also uh, did instrumental mixes for each song, so that so no lyrics, and uh, we had those mastered as well. Um, so they will be eventually released as well. And I, I especially want to give content creators some early access to the instrumental versions so that they can use them, um, as video beds, you know, music beds for video, stuff like that. I've already given Ben some stuff from uncharted X and he he's, he's, he made like a kick-ass little segment on the, on the end of his latest video with one of the songs from the album in there. And I was just like, holy crap, this is, this is awesome. So yeah, I want, I want content creators to use it because if they use it and then they say, Hey, this is, I got this music from $50 dynasty that just spreads the music more. And that's what we want. We want people to hear it. We want it to spread around. And, uh, if people want to support, they can, you know, that's great. And we, and we already have people supporting and it's been amazing. So
1: what a concept, what a concept. And I have to mention,
2: before we go, if I don't know how long we have, but I do have to mention, I want a a big thank you to a man named Clay Jones, who is the executive producer of the album. And he is is like the biggest value for value contributor so far. And uh, he made it happen for us.
4: Yeah, Yeah, we love you, Clay.
0: Right on.
1: So, So if people want to hear it live...
0: Come
2: to the Eclipse 2024. Nah,
0: can we say that <laughs> yeah. yet? Or we're figuring uh, that
2: out? Darren, the mastermind, and Ty are working on possibly throwing some kind of festival down here in Texas, and we're figuring it out. And Maybe yeah.
0: it's going to happen, and we're going to try to make it's gonna it It's going to take happen. a minute. There, we have creative differences, but we'll figure it out.
4: Well, well no, no, no. We just got to get your ass out of Canada. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can go now. I have fake papers. I mean, real papers.
2: Cut that part out.
0: (laughs) Nah, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Prove it. Prove (laughs) it. I went such a route that they would have a hell of a time uh, proving this one is fake. Because it's not fake. (laughs) I hired a sponge. (laughs) (laughs) So, and it was in mask time. So nobody knows. Yeah, I'm Derek Grimes. (laughs) <laughs> or I'm some dude that Darren Grimes gave two hundred and fifty bucks to. <laughs> <laughs> Shit got real up in Canada, man. I'm not so I know, man. I know It's
4: still getting real. What are you it's talking still about? Real. You're taking your guns away.
0: Like fuck they are from my cold dead fucking hands. <laughs> That's what the neighbors are probably betting on. I wonder how long <laughs> until the SWAT team's over there. <laughs> you should get in on that bet. I just
2: shot oh, wait, a <laughs> moose. Like it's like an insurance policy, so if you lose you like gain something.
0: <laughs> I just shot a moose a couple weeks ago. I'm gonna turn it into a yeah, Darren. sausage.
2: Hey, uh, yeah. Darren's been hunting it up, man. I'm kinda hey, jealous hey, of your hey. hunting trips, bro. You
0: should get we yourself gotta, some fake papers. Me. And come here. Get up I don't even go, know how the fuck you hunt. Moose, huh? I don't know how they... you hunt in Texas when it's a hundred fucking degrees all the time. You don't. There's <laughs> yeah. no hunting
4: season in summer.
0: It seems crazy, right? But it's, <laughs> it's even hot in season. winter. It's even hot yeah, in winter. It's too
4: hot you to, to fish. It's too, in, in no, it's too hot to fish.
0: From my Canadian mind, well, you
4: fish beers out <laughs> of the cooler. You know? I see
0: no time <laughs> yeah. in Texas where it's cold enough to process an animal. I mean, I see the way the bros have it set up because of thing's like six minutes from their fucking cooler. Yeah, we got a cooler. But if you're like yeah. out in the out in the outback, you got to have a solution for that. I now, guess eh?
2: here we, I mean, really, the, if if you had to do it, you know, in a survival scenario here, your best bet is somehow Dry it. like drying it. it out and salting it is is really the only way to go. But you know, obviously, we have here we're lucky to have a walk in cooler. And uh, we 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 don't call it hunting, Darren. We call it harvesting.
0: Your setup is a total harvest. It's, it's a, harvest. a harvest. Absolutely, one hundred percent. It's not hunting. That's they, even that's illegal in Canada. So
2: yeah, yeah. It was yeah. illegal in in the state of Georgia when I when I was growing up as well. But yeah. here we can feed them. We can feed them protein, and it's even we get we can do this uh, wildlife management. Graham, Which is like
0: a- it literally, like, Kyle has a, a hunt permanent hunting blind about 15 or 20 steps from his door that <laughs> points at a, <laughs> at a feeder that's time to drop a bit of food out every day at a certain time. Twice
4: <laughs> a day. Twice, Twice a, a day. Twice a day.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so also,
0: hunting you know, season we, is, we, like, 15 minutes.
2: <laughs> the other thing, though, is that we're not killing trophies here. We kill cull bucks, we kill doe, and we kill spikes. And the idea is to is to um, you know cull the herd.
0: Keep it going.
2: And you want and now like we've been here for twenty years and now we have beautiful bucks and all this when we got here because there's a lot of hunters and they just come for the trophies and so you you get you know shit genes. So we've been culling the herd for twenty years in, in our subdivision and we've got a nice you know bunch of deer now. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we take it straight up to the walk-in cooler and hang it for five to seven days in there and let it cure. And then we process it ourselves.
4: That's the secret. It's wonderful.
2: Secret. meat. It's wonderful that's meat. secret. Love it. Love it so much.
0: I just bought a new meat grinder. I got, oh. the, I got the Lex half horsepower, the big bite. I can't nice. wait to fucking use it. Oh, that's going to be good. Anyway, huge thanks to you guys for coming on. And, thanks for uh, having us, man. I can't wait to hear the album in person the night before the next Total Solar Eclipse. Is <laughs> this an eclipse album, maybe? I mean, it seems like it would fit. It's
2: the, it's the eclipse of an ancient
0: civilization, perhaps. And the dawn of a new one. That's right. All yeah. right, guys.
2: Thanks so much for having us, and thanks to all of you uh, contributors to the Value for Value model out there.
0: We really appreciate everything you do. We couldn't do it without you. So oh, right. I can
1: put a link to your uh, bro- brothers of the serpent.com Patreon, and that's uh, how people can get it.
2: The album would be at the. F- We've set up one for the band, so it's patreon.com slash $50 dynasty. Okay.
0: And we also have Brothers of the Serpent. if You, you want can support you that know. too and support the Grim America show. I mean, support. just support it all. Pull C-H out your slash wallet. Support. Pull out your wallet. Mother support. 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 <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. All right, thanks. Yeah. So buddy. Thank yes. you, guys. See you guys.
1: Fox, welcome to Grey America. Thanks for joining us. Mm, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. This will be this will be a blast, and learning a little bit about what you're what you've been up to and stuff. And it's fascinating. I don't know, fascinating stuff. Got a lot of questions already, um, but I do. I do. I mean, I don't know how how you been. Let's just start off super casually.
3: I've well, I've <laughs> been like everybody else. Like I, I, oddly good, but also like. WTF. You
1: know? Yeah, I know. It's a constant. I, I find it's like this this roller coaster that I'm on where I'm constantly, uh, you know, flipping back and forth between completely disappointed with mm, fellow humanity and completely fascinated with what's happening, like Same. really trying to consciously kind of shift over to uh, a non-negative state of mind, you know?
3: Yep. It takes some conscious effort, does it not? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> All the although- time, like- I'm also fascinated. So it's hard to put it down, you know, because it's like every second something else crazy happens. And it's, it's so rapid. It's like getting punched in the face, but like wanting more, (laughs) not wanting more, wanting to figure out, figure it out, you know? Well, (laughs) you're, you're
1: in a, you must be in a unique situation being in, uh, are you still in California? Yes. California Mm -hmm. as an artist, right. Mm -hmm. And a, and a medium. and And I mean, I find that, no matter what kind of group or community or genre we're talking about, everything's been split down, down the middle, another way, you know, it's just another way
3: we've been sort of split recently. Absolutely. 100%. Although I've seen like a tide change just recently too, like in maybe even the last couple of weeks, like people that I've thought were super normie or even like, I'm not trying to politicize anything, but even super liberal, you know, like because in Los Angeles, right. Then all of a sudden there's things coming out of people's mouth. I'm like, Oh, wow. You know, like, so, um, what, what do you think it is? It, what, do you, what do you think's causing it? You know, I, I think, <clears throat> well, if you want to talk like crazy deep state stuff, I just think they've overplayed their hand.
1: Yes. Yeah. <clears throat>
3: um, and people like you and I saw the overplaying of the hand. Um, I mean, my deep question is why? why why this overplaying a man like i I, I have an answer to that
1: i don't have an answer i have a theory that they need they're trying to wake us up there's not enough people there's not enough people to to fight back to push back i mean right i feel like they want you know hey come on like we're dividing you like fight amongst each other fight amongst us like Like, there's no there's no pushback really
3: like inciting a
1: riot kind of yeah kind of yeah And I don't know what that would look like. Or, I mean, I'm just, there's so much overt, uh, leakage now and, and lying. And you're like, how can this be real? Like, how can they not know that they're just
3: like poking at us? Like, wake up, wake up, wake up. Like, you know, I said this to somebody the other day, like back ages ago, I remember there was a, like ages ago, uh, Kissinger had said something like, uh, nothing happens unless we plan it that way. I remember that sinking in a long time ago. Really? I, like, yeah. Like and when, so, like not '90s, so, like maybe even earlier than that. You know, like it made the conspiracy rounds and stuff like that. And so, all this like leakage that you say like makes me just kind of think, like you know, like Pelosi's husband. Like they, we would have never heard about that ever. So what's yeah, exactly. what's the end of there? What's saddle? Yeah. And the, and now they let him off. He's going to get off without you know, he crashed his portion the whole, you know, like, not that I even really try and care about popular culture, but what I care about things like um McConaughey coming out and his big speech and, and like the Johnny Depp and then the slap heard around the world. I'm like, what a, what, this is all so scripted. How How does anybody not see the script? It's just, what's the angle? It's just so fast every week. It's something else. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm super suspicious. If they let us hear it, it's for a reason. Or yeah. You know what I mean? I would say I would say if they let
1: us hear it after a day. I've I've heard I've heard of you know, I gotta, I got to I got to research this more, but I heard of something called crowd tangle, I think it was. Crowd tangle maybe. And it was a way, a, way a program they use to catch viral stuff. So I kind of thought there's probably some legit virality at the beginning of things, but then if they let it go on for more than 12 hours or 24 hours or whatever, then I would say they're,
3: they're allowing it. They got to get a story on it or get an angle or just shut it down. Yeah. Or just shut the algorithms
1: down or whatever, but
3: I don't know if you heard about the, the, uh, the Osprey, uh, plane crash, just a couple hours South of me that went down and supposedly first thing and then just happened. Um, Out near a town called Glamis, which it caught my attention because my son goes out dirt bike riding out down there sometimes or did. And and um, it's really uh, it's just like a bunch of sand. It's a giant place to go dirt bike riding. You know, it's almost to the Mexico border. But I guess an Osprey went down. And the first report was that there was five killed um, military and that there was uh, nuclear uh, material on board. And so that's kind of still the story, except that only four killed and one missing. So I'm like, how are they going to how are they going to spin this? How are they how's this story going to change? You know, I said it to my send it to my son because he knows the area. And he's like, what the <laughs> you know? what? Uh, so, well, you know, it might be his red pill moment, you know, to just be like, OK, we watch this. So who knows where that's going to go? So are you,
1: are you are you sort of subtly predicting like you know a lone kind of nuclear gunman somewhere you know ho-
0: well, holding people mil- hostage
3: with a nuke that was escaped from the Osprey or- you know it's a military aircraft and I I don't know what I'm predicting but I'm predicting that we're not going to get the same story <laughs> exactly yeah. something yeah. somehow it'll be spun in some other direction or it'll be just totally shut down. No, no, no. There was no nuclear material.
1: Before. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How long have you been sort of interested in all this kind of stuff? Cause I was thinking back to, I, sometimes I think back to like, what, when, when, when was I, you know, like I, I had a sighting in nine in 1990 and, and I remember uh, that of course changed everything, but then I got into the corporate world and stuff and I kind of, But I always still had had sort of like, I guess, conspiracy, you know, as the way I guess the best way to describe it. But alternative views, maybe that kind of stuff still I had it in the mid 90s and late 90s and early 2000s. And then I think while we started the show at 2013, like there wasn't really too many big gaps when I think back to my kind of, you know, following all this stuff
3: you know if you're anything like me and i suspect that you are i think my sighting was in 1990 as well coincidentally if there's such a thing (laughs) um it was previous to that i was already aware uh, a lot about how our culture just gaslights us constantly on every especially any sort of esoteric paranormal uh, out of you know out of the norm topics i think there's this obviously a lot of people are waking up to that but um uh, you're probably like me, where I've got these like two different hats I wear. You know, I've got this really grounded material life where I run my business, and you know, I've got my family and in house and the whole you know like social life. Most of those people in my social life, I don't talk about this stuff too. because, and I think that's probably true for a lot of this community and your listeners and stuff. If you've got your tinfoil hat crowd, right? and you know way before sam started doing that that's what i called it you know so yeah you no, know like, i've i've maybe...
1: gone i've gone uh i've gone the opposite way i used to have many circles um but i uh now it's just one now i'm just kind of in my in my physical life like it's just me the work this job this everything the people i talk to it's mostly just this one hat now <laughs>
3: yeah yeah because well, really you've like, made it work i mean you've done yeah it, i've
1: made yeah you know? i guess i've made it work And my family like i you know whoever in my personal life i just talked about all this stuff anyways constantly so
3: yeah it is not, kind of yeah. the, the role that you've got yeah. now but maybe there was a point where it was sort of like oh there was a total point yeah i mean yeah. i had
1: too many i had too many hats at one point and, oh, it, and- i was i came through addiction and recovery and all that too okay. and i remember you you were talking to um you had a podcast, um, and I'll mention the name of the podcast later. I don't have it in in front of me right now, but you were talking about uh, entities and and uh, addiction and sort of like the old. But thinking, speaking of the '90s and the early 2000s, like the after-hours clubs and all that kind of totally. stuff. And and I mean, I was probably you know, taken by something like that, you know, yeah, parasite right? Yeah, parasites or something. And, I don't know how I got rid of it. I mean, sp- it was a spiritual solution. That's for sure. But you know, I didn't yes, have like, I didn't have like a, a time where the parasite left me knowingly. I just know that I, I kind of healed from that, you know, or I'm still always, yeah, so, I'm always healing from it. But
3: And maybe, you know, I don't, I, you're, I don't think you're alone. I, I mean, I went to some drastic measures. I didn't even know I had it either. I didn't, I I didn't feel that I was suffering from any addiction or anything like that. However, I still had random bouts of depression that were unexplainable. And also like someone, uh, you know, you know, it's a story we could get into. Um, So, you know, with that said, though, like back to my earlier comment, like there's kind of a couple of hats. I wear one that's like super grounded in the material and, you know. Uh, My my kids are older now, but I was like the soccer baseball mom, you know, like there's no way I'm bringing that shit up around like, (laughs) you know, Uh, however, you know, there are random people in my life. And then also like this podcast community and all of the things that I've been drawn to listen to for or read for a lifetime. That's where my interest has always been. Um, So there's like this sort of bifurcated personality, you know, and and I don't really bring it up with a lot of people unless they bring it up first. But you've you know, also
1: been a runner too. Right. And you, so obviously, yeah. you know, your kids are into sports and I came from a sporty background too, which is interesting, but yeah
3: yeah. 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 Oh yeah. For sure. I was always very athletic, you know, I'm getting older now and I've screwed up my feet, screwed up my shoulders, screwed up my elbows, like too much too sporty, you know, but uh, I, still, I still, whatever, if I can get a surgery, I'm getting it, you know? <laughs> so, um, so you'd kind of ask like what um, what when I first sort of got into maybe what you'd call conspiracy think maybe I like to call it critical thinking you know um, I want to say sort of always because having had you know some several paranormal experiences and um, you know out of body experiences and lucid dreams and what I thought were past life dreams so many unexplainable things in my life where when I looked around into like you know popular culture. I was for sure an outsider. And so I, I have always known what I've saw, seen and experienced. I, I know no one's going to tell me any different. There's not going to be, I'm not, I'm not hearing it. You know, I've seen it with my own two, my own three eyes from young, really young, you know, like how, what was
1: it? Like, what was your first like remembrance of an experience? Like, was it OBE or lucid dream when you were younger?
3: Uh, like very, very first was not uncommon, um, uh, invisible childhood friends, imaginary friends that I was, I I mean, I, in a lot of ways, I still remember them. So, um, and, you know, that was sort of, even though my parents did the best they could, and they both had very open minds, you know, sort of like, it's not the kind of one thing you want to say at school. <laughs> you know, like you might want to, um, but, and, and then also they would get a little freaked out about when I would talk about them. So that's my earliest memory. Not that there was anything ever scary. I just thought that everybody had that. And my brother also had an, an imaginary friend. He was much older than me, but in later years we discussed how he had. Um, and I think there might be some familial stuff I think there, you know, my grandmother had a very powerful UFO encounter. Uh, my mother had some very anomalous experiences, you know, uh, uh, through her life. So um, and then my my middle daughter has had some encounters as well. So I think there might be, you know, I've obviously had a long time to think about this and sort of research it and consider it. And, you know, um, so I think. I think there's this somewhere there's a grand unified theory of all of these things and their connection to each other and then each of us that have had experiences and even us even those of us that have had experiences but don't want to admit it I think there's this um thread that connects it all so I feel like I've had mostly everything except the Bigfoot sighting. <laughs> so um, <laughs> which you know, I ain't dead yet. So maybe <laughs> one day. <laughs> um however, I if I were to see something like that, if I were to witness Bigfoot, I think I would have a greater understanding of what's going on there. I think it's like energy and consciousness. So um but I didn't always know that I, I, I sort of thought that I was I began to think that I was an outsider weirdo, um, except here and there. I would ha- have experiences where I had witnesses with me and um, several, several experiences with witnesses with me. So um, and some people are willing to talk about it more than others. You know, you know what I mean? So. Um, Uh, everybody's coming at it from their belief system though, too, or their programming or whatever. And I was blessed enough to not necessarily be programmed by my parents at all. Pretty open-minded. My mom had some interesting experiences. And then on the conspiracy tip, you know, when I had some questions, um, I'm older, I'm 58. Right. So, and I had mentioned this recently to somebody about, I remember when they finally released the Zapruder films and i want to say i was in high school where it was first starting to kind of come around on news programs stuff like that and that was when my dad said you know if you think oswald shot kennedy you know i can't remember his exact words but it was something like you know i've got a bridge in brooklyn to sell you kind of thing and you know he it's not like he was a big tin hat guy but he would throw things into conversation um that you know he he was thinking beyond the surface for sure and then in later life you know like he he worked for the airlines and he had a lot of pilot friends and his pilot friends all had you know ufo stories and stuff and and then we had a a family poltergeist um that we all saw shit with that i mean and then he had to just kind of pull me aside when i got to be a little older and he's like yeah so about about that (laughs) wow Um, yeah, yeah. Because he was like World War II and, you know, very, uh, um, I don't want to say straight laced, but it definitely not. He didn't talk about woo stuff unless it became relevant. And so with the poltergeist, you know, we all knew there was no avoiding that situation. So we all just kind of shrugged our, or they, the adults shrugged their shoulders and were like, you know what? These things happen. Was there a
1: time when you all saw the same thing together? Like.
3: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a couple of times. So um, this this situation was my mother's sister. Um, and then, you know, just side you know, just a sidebar kind of my my mother was born and raised in Utah and a lot of weird shit happens in Utah. Um, and so and there was it seemed to just be a lot of weird stuff that kind of happened around that family in general. Um, wouldn't be like a constant thing, wouldn't be like something that you write a novel about. But, you know, in hindsight, like they're all gone now. I was the youngest of the youngest and all of that family is gone now. But there was just kind of raised in a family I was like, oh, this happened, oh, that happened. And, um, you know, the big, the two big ones were the poltergeist that, you know, my aunt and uncle had for their entire marriage. They contacted someone you know, that called himself George with a homemade uh Ouija board. And George hung around for their entire marriage. Wow. Yeah. And then all, all you know, everybody witnessed it, witnessed anomalous experiences. And then it would be her mother, my mother's mother as well. Um her and her boyfriend late in life. That my grandmother lived to be 101 and and she was probably in her 80s when this happened. And she had a, a boyfriend and they were uh, traveling from Milford, Utah, if anybody knows Utah, they were uh, on their way to Las Vegas, I think. And right, um, in case you have any listeners that know Utah, I believe it was between um, Milford and Minersville and t- totally small towns, but evidently uh, like a hundred witnesses of the craft coming down and someone coming out. And um, I've Googled it, Um and not been able to find anything. So, if you've got any listeners that have any other information, but to hear her tell the story, and she was not, she was. I mean, she would tell stories about her past, but she, she wasn't talking this stuff all the time. But she swore by this story, and so did uh, uh, Bert. <laughs> her and Bert, they had this story. They said, you know, it was such a dramatic experience to see this saucer-shaped craft, and uh, some sort of uh, stair or ramp or something come out of it. Said that they that the cars just started lining up, and over a hundred people just were on the side of the road watching this experience. So um, that's all she had about it. Whether it was an abduction, whether it was anything else, who knows? Um, and this would have been much later in her life. Um, so, and like with that said, it's not like anybody in the family. All of her kids uh that were still alive could say she's crazy because she never talked about stuff like that and she was of complete sound mind when you know when this happened however she was pretty um not distraught, but she was kind of passionate about it. So when she'd tell the story, you know, one of our kids might be like, oh, here she goes again. <laughs> but she needed to get this story out. And so did he. And I remember it distinctly. It was before I had my encounter. um But no one could really laugh it off too much because of George. George was a, whatever George was, we called it a poltergeist, called it a ghost. Um, he always claimed that he was in love with my aunt and that he would never leave her and things like that and uh so it was like a third guy in the marriage but um you know just to to give you a, a quick couple things about what you know what i witnessed or what we witnessed t- together was we would go up there every year to go camping and fishing and you know my dad would get like 3 weeks off from work and we would just like go off the grid and um what we would do is we would meet this aunt and uncle and then we would go out fishing for like a week. And then we would head back to their house, um, to shower and wash our clothes and things like that. Southern Utah, mostly, um, this one instance, uh, that is v- very distinct in my mind. Cause it was, there was kind of always a little something that always be a little bit, something weird, even when we were camping, you know, there'd always be something out of place or something bizarre. And then I always knew that either at least they thought it was George because my aunt would get all kerfuffled. You know, she'd go, Oh no, you know, George, you know, and she wasn't, it wasn't really playful for her. She was not a fan, you know, so she was always upset or not always upset, but it it, it bothered her a great deal because it was so outside. And even though George had been with them for years, he just was not leaving and, you know, Whatever programming, you know they they weren't Mormon, but and you know, but still weird shit. When something just appears out of nowhere, she had she would call my mother and and you know I would hear my mother on the phone talking with her, and you know I could tell that my aunt was upset, and my mother would talk her in off the ledge, and you know hear the stories, and some of them would, would get related to me, some I would just overhear, but I just knew it was a thing. So it was a it was an early thing where. It wasn't something I went and told my friends, but it was something that was going on in the family. So, um, but, you know, this on the, you know, on the camping trips, you know, there was one very dramatic one where <laughs> um, uh, it, it, with a locked car, um, no one having access to all of the belongings inside, it completely, uh, took everything all clothes everything that was inside this locked car and put it up in the pine trees stuffed it in wheel wells you know so uh, it was everywhere and so you know we for sure would try to laugh these things off and in this situation it was so dramatic that we didn't want the the fear factor to kind of ruin the trip so the men were kind of like huh oh you know a squirrel yeah <laughs> know but we all knew and especially because my poor You know, my poor aunt practically needed a sedative, you know, so um, and then, you know, one of the other trips uh, uh, I had taken a friend with me, a friend that I had also had an experience at her house with. So maybe that's why it happened to she and I together, because she was she had she already had something in her house and um, anyway, took her camping with us. And we had the time at my aunt's house and we. we we're in her basement and um there was a basket um like a woven completely hideous 1970s black thread basket thing hanging over the tv you know with fake birds and stuff hung from a you know like a wicker chain and um we were, it, it's a little bit of a longer story. I'll give you the brief version, but we were watching TV and, and uh, my aunt's dog just came down and started barking at it, just bark, but losing its mind over this thing. And, and, um and suddenly the basket turns on its suspension by about like 90 degrees and then just stops. So it doesn't sound like necessarily a big deal, but it was literally like somebody, took their hand and was holding this basket in place. So if you think about if there's something suspended from a chain and you twist it, it's going to find its balance. Again, it's going to come back and it's going to go back and forth and, you know, like a sort of like a pendulum, but it didn't, it just stuck there. Like someone was holding it, you know, and then for a while. So we're, you know, we know about George and all of that. And, um, and so uh, then we hear my aunt's voice upstairs and it follows her voice. And so for sure we freaked out. I think I was maybe, maybe 13, 14, something like that. We freaked out. And that was essentially the, like the, maybe the big time or the first time that my dad sat down and was like, okay, dude, <laughs> there's there, we don't know what this is. And there's something else going on. You're perfectly safe. And, you know, so me and my friend slept in the trailer that night or like, fuck this, we're not staying in this house, but, you know, and a few other things too, with George, but so early, um, those are some of the early things where, you know, when there's other witnesses and your family sees stuff and nobody hurt, you know, nobody's harmed, you know,
1: but, um, but is there, is there like, I mean, geez, we talk about this so much, <clears throat> whether, whether we should be making contact or not, you know, and, and, and I, and some of our guests talk about how, you know, good and evil really isn't a thing and all these experiences are kind of subjective. And then you got the people that think that, you know, UFOs and all these encounters and contact or end up being positive in the end. But I mean, hearing about a couple of things that happened to you in your psychedelic experiences and your night terrors and stuff, I mean, and then having, does that George, I mean, who knows, would that George contact be, I mean, could you chalk that up to maybe him being somewhat connected to the family or hanging around, uh, also maybe creating some of these more negative experiences, or I know you had stuff happen before George, right. But
3: uh, You know, it's a really good question. And I think it, it, I, I think it's the ongoing question is, you know, good and evil. What's our programming, you know? Yeah. 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 What's how far can we go with this without opening a door we can't close? You know yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, yeah. are you going to get possessed with a that kind of thing? Um, using George as an example, I th- I don't think George was m- malevolent. I think he just wanted some attention, and he taught the family at large and me a, a great deal about the. Um, you know, continuation of consciousness. So he, it, whatever it was, and however he was manifesting, he seemed conscious. And you know, having come through a homemade Ouija board with a name and all of that kind of thing, sure, demonic. Yeah, okay, yep. Did possibly did anybody become possessed, or did anybody become very hurt? Maybe some of their energy was vampirized or something like that maybe my aunt's uh um fear who i really don't know i didn't live there that those are the accounts that i can attest to however uh it for sure made me open to learn more about it um and then you know i've also had experiences where i think there was someone that in my life who was possessed and was doing very terrible things in his life. And, and I had, um, witness to that. And so I'm just walking around looking at the world through my eyes and how it's affecting me not to sound like a narcissist, but you know, my path of learning and trying to understand this stuff. Um, ultimately I think it's about our own personal intent. You know, if we, if we want to learn more and sort of, grow and evolve and become, um, you know, not to overstate it, but become enlightened about, uh, things. Um, I, I, feel like if we're too staunch in our, what we think we believe, then we just stop learning. Is
1: that how you, is that how you stopped the, the uh, night terrors and stuff through intent or? Uh, yes. So that's what, cause that's what, that's one of the big questions. Like to me, if, like my girlfriend has this issue and I don't want to get into it, into her side of it too, because every time I talk about it, something happens like, so it's happened like two or three times now. And I mean, I'd, okay. l- I'd love to talk about it because it's okay. it's interesting to me and probably the listeners, but anyways, um, how, how, I mean, she's not, she doesn't have free will if she's being attacked by these things, right. In the middle of the night, or how do you, I mean, you know, okay. it just happens, right. No matter what,
3: whether you want it or not, it just seems to take, take hold. I mean, I do think that there are dark energies that are, you know, coming to let, psychic attack. You know, this sounds like a psychic attack. And what what's the motivation of the attacker is the question. So if there's motivation to steal your louche or to feed off of your adrenaline or your energy field, um, if we're talking deep consciousness, then you know, we project an energy field. And um if we don't necessarily have our shit straight if we don't have our power in place. Um, and you know, that sa- I don't mean that to sound flippant. No, 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 not at all. Um, however, if, if we, if you're down, if she's down to think about her own personal power and how this might be an exercise in growing that, it is a shift in thinking instead of the victim being, um, finding it, uh, finding this, uh, a challenge with which to grow her, our own personal power. And that's how I've seen it. Although I didn't, you know, like I, I freaked time, out man. for a yeah. long time until I finally went, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. And when I did it, um, so you had made reference to, you know, like the ayahuasca journeys and the, the, you know, like, like all of that part of my life. Once I started doing that, it was a non-issue. I was, it was, there was no room for that. It was like, I stepped into a different kind of um, reality almost. Or- yeah. Yeah. Like a different reality almost. However, I needed to beat that thing with my own will. And so with the night terrors that you mentioned, I had night terrors, for decades, my whole life, pretty much, um, and they were somewhat regular, and there were all manners of things. Um, somehow, I uh, so the UFO encounter that may or may not have been an abduction. People that hear the story are like, "Yo, oh, yeah, um, there was something else going on there." I don't really know. All I know is I don't have a negative feeling from that. I don't. I don't have negative memories. I don't have I don't think of it as a negative encounter. However, with the night terrors, they were so they were at least once a month. Sometimes they'd be weekly. Um, Started when I was um, very young, probably a child. You know, maybe always. Not really sure. It was just sort of a a like sleep paralysis, that kind of thing. Um, And then I got uh, to a point. In those realms, um, in that dreamscape, where I somehow started to gather up some sh- strength, and I don't know if it was just uh, just tired of being bullied, maybe, um, maybe it was a personality thing where I finally pushed back. And um, so, what started end up happening is, with these night terrors for years, is, um, you know, like my ex husband, he got really good at holding me down. And then like talking me back into like consciousness, because sometimes I'd run out of the room, I'd try and run out of the house, I'd start swinging, you know, like lots of stuff. Um, and some of these night terrors had uh, uh, characters or settings, and some were just abject terror. I was just in terror. So it's those just in terror thing, uh, ones that I started to sense that something was feeding on that like it was just imparting this abject terror so that something could just uh, take all my energy. Cause I'd be, I'd be knackered the next day, just wiped out. Um, having brought up my ex-husband, there was one experience cause he was super normie guy. And even though he was, he was good at like, you know, reigning in the terror when he could. Um, but there was one in particular where this, it, 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 I was heating up and some of, some of the times it'd be lucid. I would know that I was having a night terror, kind of hard to describe unless you've kind of had one, but, uh, in this one, there was imagery and there was these green lights around our bed. And then, uh, as I came out of it, um, he admitted he saw them too. So what, when he did that, I think there was a little bit of a a little bit of a shift in, in for sure my thinking, but even his thinking a little bit. And what I noticed with normies, you know, is like, even if they see a little something, they don't necessarily have the bandwidth. And, and I do the same. Sometimes I don't have the bandwidth to deal with it either. And I'll just go totally like, I got to like, just focus on. <laughs> Sometimes it takes years. I mean, years. it does. Yeah. It totally and even in the, even now sometimes it's like more than I can think about I'm like I'm gonna go water the garden I don't wanna like I want <laughs> I gotta whatever I could do something super grounded you know um so so anyway um at one point um but we had moved to a house that I feel like had that I have some stories from that house my my kids were pretty young and it was a a uh, uh, it was a family house with my ex-husbands and um th- there was some stuff there, got some stories there. My kids saw stuff and I for sure had some experiences and stuff there. But I had already been working on, you know, like re- I had read them in row books and stuff. And I was already working on some OBEs and stuff. And um I'd already had lucid dreams and and uh, even previous to moving there, I'd had already had a couple of OBEs and then had some, you know, it was kind of a it's not like a everyday everyday paranormal life, but it'd be like, that's where my interest has always lied. So it'd be like maybe every couple of months or maybe every six months or, you know, so there was always kind of a little something where I'd be like, that happened. So uh, anyway, in that house... There it can't, you know, the night terrors were fairly regular so much that, you know, like, you know, my kids knew and obviously my husband knew and stuff. And we'd get invited to go away on weekend trips with people and be like, "Mm." (laughs) Uh, you know, I don't want to I don't want to ruin the party if I go screaming out the front door or something. But but anyway, there was one um, that I I uh, was pretty lucid, but out of my mouth you know, I said in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. And, and it was a, it was like a higher self saying that. Cause it's not that I've necessarily had, you know, I, I wasn't raised Christian. I've never had a problem with Jesus. I've never had a problem. I just, I was non, I was not, you know, it was like, he's cool. Uh, but when that came out of my mouth and had instant, uh, re- instant alleviation of that, then in the night terrors moving forward, I always did it. And then it started to like go away or get weaker. Wear wear off. Yeah. Did it start to wear off? Wear off. And so, so that was like, I didn't have the help of, uh, you know, like plant medicines and stuff like that, which I'm glad. It was a sheer will. And it was something that I, I learned in that space somehow possibly, I don't know if I was guided um, you know, I've had subsequent, you know, Jesus type stuff that I can't explain, you know, I don't have, well, you yeah, you saw him once in a psychedelic experience. Right? I did. I had a powerful experience with him and then, you know, little stuff too, like just, just very, you know, it, it those experiences like anybody that's had any sort of paranormal experience it might sound small but in the moment it's very significant those are like spiritual moments right and i was working in a church in santa monica i was doing some like faux finish for for them in this um giant church a Pres- i think it was santa monica presbyterian or something and they had this massive cross on the wall and i was in there by myself and um and I, the work I was doing was on the floor. So I'm down there with knee pads and the whole thing. This giant church all by myself, like nobody else. And um, and I, I kept looking up at the at the crucifix on the wall. It had to be like 12 feet high. It was beautiful. It was just wood. But anyway, as I just kept kind of like feeling like some someone was like in there with me. And um, and uh anyway, um, I I was doing some work between these pews and um, all of a sudden I I heard look at the clock. And so it's not like I hear voices all the time, but so I look at the clock and it was a digital and it said 316. And I was like, wow, does that sounds kind of familiar, you know? And so then I'm pretty sure it's John 316, which is like God so loved um the earth that he sent his only begotten son. And I didn't know this at the time. If I did, it was deep in my subconscious. I was not a Bible reader, so I picked up the Bible and then I opened it. and I was like, "Whoa, that's crazy!" You know, like what what just happened there? So it it sound it you know. There's probably Christians out there going, "You know, bitch, that happens every day when you're a Christian." <laughs> but like, I didn't didn't necessarily know these things, you know. And and like I say, like I'm I'm not a practicing Christian. There's a church that I like to go to just because it's vibration raising and stuff. And I think Jesus is totally cool. And feel like he visited me in an ayahuasca experience and taught me some stuff, you know, so I just, I'm not a fan of dogma, you know? So anyway, um, and he's, he, it, they, you know, whatever that energy really is, that benevolent spirit of love. Um, I, I stopped having the night terrors. I feel like whatever that psychic attack was was like we're not getting any play here anymore this is boring let's go <laughs>
1: let's do you think do you think your your work uh, on the obes and the lucidity part played a i mean i feel like that plays a huge part in you just having building some awareness in that moment you know or absolutely. some space yeah. some space to respond instead of being just frozen in
3: fear absolutely for sure i mean and also the drive to understand consciousness as I mean, whatever it is, your aunt's poltergeist, your 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 night terrors, your your, um, you know, your synchronicities and deja vus and stuff. I've always just been like, what is this? You know, what what is actually going on here? This is it's not what we're being told. It's not, you know, your nine to five and what kind of car you drive. I've just always known, you know, and then also, you know, because I can go down any conspiratorial path you want to go because I'm down because. They're lying to us about everything. Like everything's, everything is like actors gonna act, you know, like come on, Johnny Depp. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> what about your what about OBE experiences? You have any experiences in that realm and the other realm? Like that you can, you know, you know it's not a dream, but you're oh, you know, yeah. li- listeners are kind of craving for some
3: OBE stuff. So. Okay, for sure, for sure. So it's not like I have them all the time. I haven't even worked on it in years necessarily, and I don't know why. I, I feel like I worked on it was super driven to that. And then, you know, I think we're all kind of that way. We've got an interest and then We just dive in and that's the thing. And then, you know, it sort of at the same time I was working on lucid dreams. So they kind of overlapped something I came across, whatever. So, you know, I feel like I read the first Monroe book years and years ago and then maybe tried it a little bit and I was like, mm, that's hard. That's I can't or whatever. But then I got back into it and then I read a couple of them and then I heard somebody interviewed, maybe like coast to coast or something. And I'm like, damn it, I'm doing that. <laughs> I'm trying that. So uh, so I worked on it, I, like set alarm in the middle of the night. And then you know I had uh, younger kids. So there was always somebody waking me up So I had plenty of opportunities in the middle of the night to put some of the protocols into practice because there's several different ways, you know, different things you can do. Um, This one time that I'm going to talk about, I think the exercise was to set an alarm in the middle of the night so that you wake up and you're still tired, your body's still tired, um, but then your mind's alert. And so part of the exercise was to, you know, lay in bed, but have a hand raised up, you know, like like you know, above you, like the uh, above you. And then as you feel your hands start to fall, then you know your body is falling asleep, but to try and keep your mind aware. And that's exactly it worked. Um, I felt my body fall asleep. I was aware of my hand falling down and hitting the bed, but I was alert in my mind. And so I thought, okay, you know, my body's asleep. I could hear myself breathing like i was sleeping and um i i had had some like baby experiences like i would wake myself up cuz i got too excited you know or to you know i'd be like oh my god i'm doing it <laughs> and i'd wake up <laughs> um but in this case i had had a little bit of practice and so i was like no i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to stay in the state and so you know th- this experience was the first big one like i said those little ones um this one. So I knew that I was conscious and my body was asleep. So next I didn't, I didn't make any plans though. I didn't think, okay, once I'm out of the body, I'm going to go fly. I'm going to go visit somebody. I didn't make any plans, which was, I ended up with some OBEs later having a plan, which, so this one, I moved over to the window and I looked back and I saw me sleeping in the bed and also very proud of myself for not getting jerked awake because of that sensation. Um, but I went through the window and I, I sat on the window ledge like a bird for a bit and then I left. And so I went out and I, uh, uh the, con- the conscious awareness for me was more than a dream. Um, you know, a dream is like, sort of amorphous this was real I was real I could see like the dew on the street and all that kind of thing and for whatever reason I just went with it and I knew that I wasn't alone I knew that I had a companion I didn't see the companion uh, but I knew that I had a guide and so I traveled oddly like to the east of where I was living at the time was this Costco and (laughs) <laughs> and uh, a railroad track right next to the Costco, and all these power lines. And I had somebody I told this story to later say that it was probably the power lines and, you know, the railroad track. It wasn't necessarily the Costco. The weird thing, if there's that same person, he died in that Costco parking lot years later. So, you know, he and I were really tight. He was my, ex-father-in-law and he was really a deep seeker and he randomly died of a heart attack in that parking lot but why that costco i don't know is there a little time slip thing a little like um time loop i don't know i don't know uh, in any case i remember that so clearly but then i moved along those power lines to a point that i went from that point to the point where i was uh, my next awareness i've never been to chicago But I knew I was in Chicago and I was uh, in these people's house that that had high ceilings. And there were this African-American couple, very brightly colored walls, very Afrocentric, like a lot of masks on the walls. But like modern people, I could I could draw pictures of them. He had a daishiki like they were very like. African uh, culturally, um, but in Chicago. So why Chicago? I have no idea what this was about um but i was in the upper corner of their uh townhouse with my companion and um m- me thinking what the fuck am i doing here <laughs> like why here like who are these people why you know what's going on but aware and suddenly the woman she became aware of me and she was not happy to see me and She went and she got a broom and she started screaming at me and yelling and, and he, her husband, her partner came in after, and they did not want me there. So that freaked me out. And then because I was so freaked out about being chased off, um, and seen, um, I woke up or, but I wasn't asleep. So my eyes flew open, but the way it is, like when you wake up from in the middle of the night or anything, you're like, wake up groggily. I was not groggy. My eyes just went bing. I was just slammed back into my body wide awake. And so, you know, like what, why there, what did that all mean? What, what, what was the significance of that and what did they see when they saw me? If, if you know, if we can suspend disbelief that this wasn't just some crazy dream of mine, that I was literally my consciousness was someplace in Chicago in these people's home. What did they see? Was she? Did she have? Was she psychic? Or was, was it an orb? Yeah. Or just was it an orb? She. I. I was somewhat offended though that she thought that I was malevolent. You know, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm just some dumbass floating around like messing around without a body like and so it, i mean i guess you could say i sort of learned that like be a little more responsible with like what you're doing sort of my, I, i'm not sure my what my companion who and what they were i i sense more of a kind of feminine energy um but more of like a quiet teacher kind of like okay this is something so you know the next day um I for sure felt like that all happened still to this day. Like I said, I could, I remember it. It was not a dream. So I I knew that it was, it, it, what it did do is solidify what, um, uh, that OBEs are possible. And then secondly, what are ghosts anyway, was I ghost? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, then of course my, my father-in-law who I spoke of was um, more than thrilled at this news. (laughs) So that we shortly after ended up moving into uh, a family property that what he it was technically his house, but he didn't spend any time there. So we took over that house and and there was some there was some energy there. Some things happened in that house and stuff. Um, so all with this sort of energy and kind of managing that. um and not all necessarily light stuff. You know, my kids saw some stuff there and I still think there's something there. Um, And then also there was like some little bit of strife in that house. There was seem to be some other kind of um, influences. Uh, And I was always trying to um, clear it, make it light, various things. And it's not that it was all bad or it was this constant haunting or anything like that, but I was also still working on this stuff. And so my father-in-law um he uh he was like well next time you do it come visit me at my shop because he lived at his shop and i was like okay dude i'll try you know i'll see what i can do i i was not uh successful with that um but you know he did impart to me if you do it again like do something relevant don't just you know float around and so he uh was a Reiki master. And he pushed me really hard on the, um, you know, like he was like Reiki level three and he was always pushing me bringing people over, got me my attunements. And he was always like, let's do Reiki. I got, I got a live one here. And he'd bring people over and we'd do Reiki together. And, you know, like, he's just a funny dude. Um, and also open to absolutely any conspiracy. We'd talk for hours and I'd be like, I've been here for six hours. I gotta go. Um, just fun guy. I miss him a lot. Um, but um, anyway, I decided to practice. I woke up in the middle of the night again, and I had moved not too pretty recently into this house. And, and, um, and uh, so I was like, okay, well, if I wake up in the middle of the night, cause you know, there's always something waking me up in the middle of the night, I'm going to give it a shot again. And um, I had had some lucid dreams just Previous to that, some kind of weird things like the like the roof was not on this room and seeing, you know, seeing stuff happen in like the universe, even though I knew I was dreaming like that it was starting to it was starting to heat up with some interesting consciousness stuff. So I'm like, OK, well, I'm going to try an out of body again. And um and I did. I woke up middle of the night and in this technique was somewhat similar as you, if you can feel yourself starting to drift drift a little bit, you're starting to maybe have some imagery, like you feel like you're going to be dreaming or you're starting to fall asleep, Um, then to see if you can roll out of your body. I think this was one of Monroe's techniques is like the roll technique. And um, so I did it, you know, just randomly. And I, because I try, it's not like I didn't try a bunch. I tried a bunch and failed way more times than I was successful, but this time I rolled out. And, uh, one like of the big events, around. you
0: just like, they, you just like,
3: no, no just, you're not physically rolling out. Oh. You, it's just
1: your right. It's just your energy body rolling out of your physical body or
3: that's right. So the key I think is being aware of your sleeping body, um, which is not easy to do. I don't think, um, but if you really think about it, you kind of know when you're falling asleep. You kind of know when you're starting to drift. And if you've placed your intent to stay conscious through that process and do one of these kind of exercises, like uh, uh, I feel like it takes a couple of nights. Like if you've said it a few nights in a row, if you're like, I'm going to try it tonight, I'm going to try it tonight, then it's kind of in your um, consciousness that this is what you're attempting to do. And there's a part of your mind that you know if, if the if your will is there it kind of stays with you um like i said it, ta- it takes practice and and even the ones where i was successful it's not like i have any magic thing well well i did this i just kept practicing i was like maybe this it's like trying to hit a you know a base hit you know like one of these times i'm going to swing and hit that ball and um so in this case so the rolling that i did is I've, I felt like my intent was to roll out of my body. So I just slowly took my kind of conscious mind and was like, I'm going to roll onto the floor. And so it worked and I rolled over, but my body stayed like a corpse, like flat, just like my body in bed. And I knew it. I knew that I was hovering above the floor and that my body was above me in the bed, And because I'd done it before, I was like, okay, cool. I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna look back because I'm gonna try and stay in this. And I remember Dave's words like, have an intent, like do something. So, so I had floated through the wall. And when I had gone through the window, I didn't really notice how the window felt. But in this case, I went so slowly through the wall, I could feel how the like joists and the stucco and all that felt this like weird density. And I was also marveling at myself that that didn't throw me back into body. Uh, So I was as surprised as anybody, you know, still, if I was hearing somebody tell a story, I might be skeptical, but that's what happened. So I went out the, the re the most recent. Serious life event is that my my dad had passed away, and those are some few interesting things that happened with his passing. But um, but in any case, you know, grief. I was super tight with my dad, and and anyway, I floated through the wall, and then I was hovering over the grass, and I was making, I was able to observe stuff. And this was before I was doing any ayahuasca or anything, but it was very ayahuasca like because there was a color spectrum that. Isn't here. So I was looking at that. I was like, is it dark out or is it light out? And why is everything this like pearlescent sort of rainbow? You know, it was very like, whoa, but I was still on my back, kind of like my body was. And I'm hovering just above the grass. And then I thought, well, you know, I guess I, I guess I should like try and do something, you know, like I'm going to tell Dave about this, you know? So, so I was like, I just made the request. I was like, can I see my dad? And let's go see my dad. And um, then I just got this sort of download that was like, no, we can't do that. Well, you're not ready for that. Um, and I, and so I was just kind of, I could feel this little breeze on me as well. And I was like, well, if I can't see my dad, well, how about God? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> so all of a sudden I started moving and I started moving up the street and I was looking around and I was hovering about six inches off the ground. And I could, I could feel like, you know, like the sort of air and like it was, chi- it was sort of chilly and everything. And anyway, I floated up the street about a block and a half to this neighbor's house. And there was this tree and I had looked at the neighbors. One of the neighbors across that I looked across the street had some sort of Asian uh, address artwork. And I was like, I'm going to come back and I'm going to find that, which I never found. I went back and I looked at the house. And I'm like, I ain't there. Like, what the hell? But anyway, I Are went to Say again. You're gonna swipe it. No, you're <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mine. <laughs> um, so I went up under this tree. Uh there is a tree there, but it's not the tree that was in this uh, sort of alternate reality. But anyway, floated under the tree. But the tree itself was like a, a lot like Avatar tree, had all these little lit up things in it. And I was just, I was just delighted. I was just in this like feeling of delight, right? And so I floated under the tree, still only about six inches off the ground. And I'm like this, like a corpse just under this tree floating around. And then I watched this like drop of water, it was like dew fall slowly and then it hit me right in the thigh. And then as soon as I saw this like drop of water hit my thigh, then I had this like overpoweringly phenomenal awareness of everything i mean it was very much like ayahuasca like i was it all it was like a massive download of knowledge and you know uh that did snap me back into my body because it was you know it was so overpowering and you know i couldn't catch my breath for probably days like what did i just see what did i just experience but so you know i asked to see god And that's what I got. And so it was, it was, a, I would say it was such a powerful out of body experience that it was kind of like, I was like, okay, I'm good. Even though I had a couple more where I did some flying stuff and I saw some like alternate realities, like in this one, it was, there was a second story on the house we had, which we never built. I don't know what was going on there, but, um, uh, and and then every once in a while, I'll go kind of lucid in a dream and I'll, I'll decide oh, I could probably fly right now and I'll fly, you know, not that often though. Um, however, at the same time, um, there, I think there were signs that I was going to be pursuing the plant medicine stuff that was like pregame. And so, and I think that might've been a little bit part of it. Cause I think it's all, it's all connected in one person's life. It's all connected. Do you think do you think that
1: uh, your guide in that in that realm is the one that you saw as a kid, your invisible friend?
3: That's a good question. Um, there were two. So the two Like are those the traditional
1: spirit guide kind of thing do you think or you No, know, that's your that's... higher selves. I mean, I know our friend our friend Brady does the roll, of, roll out method. He rolls out and he he seems to think all those entities are are their different your different selves. Like different mm-hmm. layers of yourself. He thinks there's all these higher selves that you're kind of in that realm with.
3: Yeah. You, I, I could, I, I could different, get with that different aspects, I, maybe even uh, for sure. Cause like our ego, right. Is us um, um, dividing from the space of non-duality. So at what level it, is it a spectrum? are there spectrums where we are 100% in a space of non-duality where we are the whole, and is there, and then there's here, and then everything between, is there spaces where we're kind of us, but kind of not, you know, we've got these other aspects of ourselves, um, you know, in those spaces of non-duality, you know, that in the like you literally are the other me, we are one kind of thing. And, uh, That's, that's why hippies get such a, you know, people that do psychedelics, get such a bad rap because it's, you can't bring that back and sound sane that we're all one kind of thing. However, uh, you know, in some deep ayahuasca journeys, probably a half a dozen, I have seen myself from my higher self and the way that I feel about, so um, the way I feel about myself as I, I call it. Big Whitney and Little Whitney. And the way Big Whitney feels about Little Whitney is she loves her very much. So when you know, like all, and that's why I think where some of the great healing can come with those protocols is the self-love thing. As I, I'm, so with with the way he has described it, that you know, it it's kind of in keeping with that that there's a higher self uh, I can't even call it me because it's more like, And not just a we, me and her, if you follow me with that, it's a we, you know, like us, you, you, me, that's us, is this greater whole that has the understanding of all. And then us, you know, the three of us in our little walking around bodies and our, you know, everything that we think is so important, you know, and in our cars and our jobs and our bills and our, you know, um, when we're there as the uh, higher self, it's almost as if I believe we kind of look at the us part as, um, you know, kind of like little kids, like little children.
1: Like it's more real there than here.
3: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Very hard to bring back. Very hard to come back and talk to your spouse about, or your friends, almost impossible. Like I tried in the beginning, you know, I'd be like, somebody's got to call. Somebody's got to call the network and tell them. And then after a while, I just realized it's such a, kind of personal thing, or talking to people like you guys, you know, that, you know, that can understand expanded consciousness talk. Not everybody's interested though. Not everybody can go there. They don't just have the bandwidth to even have an interest. So, you know, what percentage of the convert the uh, population, um, does, I think there is a percentage, maybe the, the ones that, um, propel the race forward. I don't know. I have a little theory on that. So. Does it have anything to do with the last couple of years or. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, look around for God's sake. Um, I mean, I like to think that people are waking up and I also like to think like, maybe I'm the crazy one. Maybe I'm the one that's just like, woo. I don't think so though I don't think so
1: I do want to I mean I heard I heard some of your story on another show but and I and you kind of teased that you're shaman and he he had something happened to him and I I don't know if that's I felt like there was something important there um but selfishly I I didn't get to hear what happened there um you know and I, that kind of ties into your maybe your psychedelic experiences but I don't know if you can get into that or not or I
3: can, and I don't think I've actually said what happened to him anywhere yet. So, um, uh, you know, briefly, the brief part of it about finding him was uh, amazing. You know, I was just committed to doing this thing. And and then I found him and ended up finding a person of great integrity. And that I think that was the real deal. Um, I think what he was... Re- ultimately I think what he was doing was bringing just a little bit too much light. I think that that kind of can happen where um, we've got these sort of avatars that show up and they're bringing too much healing and too much light and the darkness kind of came and stopped the party. Wow. Um, Yeah. Um, And witnessing that and all of the things involved because it's a pretty involved story. If I can um, summarize it. I had been working with him for a couple of years, pretty intensely. With with ayahuasca, right? With ayahuasca and uh, plant dietas, these master plants from the Amazon that are not psychoactive, but they're believed to be um, master plant spirits, teachers, um, there was a few that I. These dietas are. They're really designed to be done in the Amazon to commune with the master plant, master teacher. Um, I did the best I could in L. A. You know, working and all of that. Um, distract. There's a lot of distractions. It's the ideal scenario is to go down to the Amazon, have this restricted diet, a lot of fasting you know, no sex, no distractions, and you just commune with this plant and, and the plants give you insights and teachings and that kind of thing. And even with the, my limited capacity, just trying to still pay the bills. And, um, I still feel like those master plants have taught me quite a lot. They, the insights do come and you have the question, would I have thought of that on my own? Have I invited in a spirit? I had, you know, I kind of went also with the dieta plants. I also had to pull back and do some deep thinking and discernment about, am I inviting something in that is, you know, what am I doing? I have to really think about this. And then ultimately came to the conclusion that that the plants are, um, they're of nature and I've come to the conclusion that things that are of nature are of the light. Things are unnatural are not. Um, so kind of another topic, but um, so several plant dietas with this shaman, um, he was good at guiding and, you know, sort of helping with the discipline. Cause it's like I said, a restricted diet and then um, some initiation type stuff. Um, and then with these initiations, it'd be like, weekly drinking of ayahuasca or three night ceremonies, things like that. Um, plant um, uh, Calling in, you know, spirit animals and things like that. Some pretty deep work. And, you know, I I feel like I was right in the middle of it with him. We were just getting started. He was going to open a retreat center in uh, Mexico and, and um, somewhere along the way. There was a, he had several people that he was working with, but I would say that there was maybe uh, about a dozen that were working really tightly with them, you know, the closest people. So we're a bit of a community. Um, and he was very good at keeping it non culty and non. Um, he never non-gurui. had guru, non-guru, even though people tried to worship him, he would he would push that away and he would stop that. It was very much like he taught me you know, loud and clear that follow no one, follow your own, um, your own protocol, design your own protocol to figure out what you're doing for you. Not what I've told you to do, not what somebody else has told you to do. This is the path of the shaman, right? Um, so, uh, he was married and, um, there was a. so he was very handsome and he was very charismatic I had just gotten remarried and was very much in love with my husband. I was plus, you know, this show wasn't my type, you know, so he appreciated very much that I wasn't, you know, drooling over him. So I think that for that reason, he kind of took me under his wing in a different way. And he wanted me to kind of help him with the women, you know, because it's not i don't think it's uncommon for people in those expanded states to feel very emotional and connected to the person the ayahuascaro or the curandero especially if they're super handsome and charismatic that was just happening a lot and it was a little frustrating for him and so he kind of in some ways wanted some help and i was starting to help kind of facilitate some of these things you know i had witnessed so much and I had been there and gone through so much. And you know, it was kind of one of the crew, you know, it, it came to trust me. And um so, uh, but also um he had confided in me uh that he felt like he was under psychic attack. He'd confided in a few people, and as that kind of thing progressed, I had never oh, how would I have necessarily seen anything like this other than what I had experienced myself? I had never watched. Like somebody that was running a thing and also, you know, uh, these regular, he he even had a little bit of fame, you know, like YouTube page and followers for other stuff. He was kind of in the, what you'd call like sort of the uh, self-help sort of community, you know, like he'd done some seminars and wrote a book and things like that. And, and then he had did the, the, the shamanism and the, the ayahuasca on the side, regularly going to the Amazon for these long retreats with shamans down there and bringing back knowledge and all this stuff and teaching and all that kind of thing. It was, he was great though. And he was also just, so especially I feel like with me, like just no ego, it was just like, where are you at? he was anything I'd say to him. He'd be like, you know, let the, okay, let's do this. Or he was very, he had great integrity, um, but also through these plant medicine ceremonies, healing a lot of people. Like I would see people stop drinking in one night. These people with a heroin addiction just put it down, you know, and and then also a couple of times what I could only call an exorcism in ceremony. And I mean, crazy shit, but also deep shamanic work. And so when the, what he felt was a psychic attack started to come around, he was very, Sure, it came through his wife. And his wife changed everything about her. And that went real dark real fast. So I had to withdraw and I had to really think about what I was doing, who I was involved with, how serious this is, why, why am I witnessing this? What, what is where am I at in my personal journey? Because I was developing a relationship with the medicine myself, you know, gotten to a point where. I'd had a lot of healing, had a lot of understanding about all the major, um, you know, tenets of virtue, you know, uh, unconditional love and forgiveness and grace and compassion. And, you know, I'm, I'm rushing through it, And but I wasn't rushing through it then. You know, I'd had many, many nights where I had to contemplate deeply through ayahuasca visions, like what is true compassion, that kind of thing. And um, because I didn't know what it was until I, she taught me or you know a lot of people that do the medicine will call her she um and so i was able to experience those things in all dimensions and be able to come back here and be like i i understand deeply on a level that i can't even explain what what these things are at least how they affect my life or how i see them in the world that kind of thing um but then also watching these other people heal and I think that he became a beacon for a dark attack and um, there's a a lot of details. However, um, he, he um, there was a sudden onslaught of attacks on him. All of a sudden, all of these women banded together and on more than one occasion, you know, I saw these women with like their eyes, black, like no color in their eyes, just black eyes. And I had, I've seen that a few times in my life, not in, not in ceremony, but just with walking around and these people um, always end up being dark. I don't, it's not like I see it every day, but once in a while I'll still see it. And every time I've seen it, it's significant, but for sure in ceremony, when I've seen that, I've seen it a couple of times and there's something to that. I, I don't know exactly. Well, you, well you
1: also saw something come out
3: in ceremony, right? For sure, for sure. I've seen it a couple of times, and so with that medicine, you you know, it's mostly a you know something you know journeys that you're on your mat and your eyes closed kind of thing. But if you are called to have your eyes open and helping facilitate or you know, there's various things you're called to do. Sometimes you're called to dance or, or uh, play music or something. And you can be seeing the whole spectrum of colors and um, the shamanic realms with all three eyes. And so that's a quite an experience. But also when you see somebody in that state that is dark, um, that does happen. So, you know, just uh word of caution. It's, it's, you know, these ayahuasca ceremonies, if you've ever heard anybody say, Oh, that's really dark stuff. It can be, it can be. And if you're, if you're not spiritually equipped or it's being run by someone that doesn't know what they're doing, um, those things can happen. And I've, I've seen it and it also had, it also, I don't want to say it scared me off. It, it gave me great uh, caution as well as what ends up happening with, you know, this shaman. Um, so he, he confided in me, um, through this, you know, I did some work with him, uh, trying to protect him, help protect him from, from this. Um, what he decided to do was, um, uh, go down to Peru and he was going for a month and he was going to work with some shamans down there. And he decided that he was going to work with a medicine called tohe. And so, uh, tohe is, um, if you've ever seen a Datura flower, it's, um, forget what it's also called. It's a big white flower. You see it growing in the desert and it's, um, it's a deep, uh, uh, shamanic medicine, but also very toxic if uh, overdone. And so uh, it's typically used, according to him, and I've also heard elsewhere, uh, to fight dark spirits, to fight dark entities. So it's not your typical um, medicinal uh, uh, psychedelic spirit medicine this that so uh, essentially, if you're gonna, Go fight the devil. You go into these realms with this particular plant spirit, and so, um, I for sure was concerned about him, even though he had partook in Tohe before, um, with shamans in Peru. Um, you know, this was to go fight some battle, some dark battle that I feel like I could understand because, um, he had helped. You know, just to back up a second, I was going through a time in my life where I was uh, being um, pursued and I don't want to say stalked, but I was going through a very hard time with a a mentally ill family member um, who I also think had some sort of dark attachment, had to get a restraining order. Um, She was after me and lived in the same building and essentially, you know, my husband and she owned the building together. It was a long, ugly, gross story, but she was terrible. So I feel like she was sending some of her darkness my way and some like uh, sleep paralysis type stuff. And he divulged that he witnessed that and there was no way that he could have known that kind of thing. You know, so I knew that we, there was, and we also had had some shared ayahuasca visions. So I, I knew that like, there's some sort of, um, at, at least for me, anecdotal proof that those shamanic realms have a reality to them. It's not just a dream. It's not just a psychedelic. Uh, it's not just crazy hippie talk. There's other realms and witnessing this like light and dark battle going on because I'd already had a little bit of experience with it on my own. So now with the uh, help of this you know, sacred plant medicine, I got you know, I I could see it more regularly. I could go there and and witness how things kind of work on in that realm um, a little more clearly. However, I didn't ever expect it to turn to this. So he went to Peru. We were um, the the very last ceremony that we had together uh, was like a, this very dark ceremony, and um, we were going to leave after that ceremony and i was going to go with him um down to mexico cuz this was down in san diego and we were going to go to mexico and look at a retreat center cuz he was really committed to you know he wanted to go check that out before he went to peru and this terrible storm ended up coming and um and he said well i'll do it when, let's do it when we get back when i get back and um so he went down and and um he didn't he never came back and so uh i got the news Um, just on this really crazy, weird day, um, got the news. I was stuck in a seven hour traffic jam. And so I couldn't move. I couldn't go. I can do anything, but just like sit with this news. And um, he, as the story goes, he um, ended up working with a lady shaman down there and they kind of lost track of him. And he was working with the Tohei and, and, um, you know, the the, the group that, that sort of, you know, there was a guy that kind of took over for him after he left. He, I don't believe that he was necessarily equipped. Um, But, you know, within that group, it was kind of like, let's just not talk about it. Let's just make it go away. And I was never comfortable with that. You know, I I still believe that, you know, you know, the, the official story was that he had a heart attack and this guy was a picture of health and, you know, I, I believe that there was some other sort of, um, you know, some other agenda that took out the work that you know that the, there was an effort against him to take to stop him from the the work with the light that he was doing. So things got real weird um, with that group. Like the, there was another you know, and, and also this shaman told me, he said, you know, I have to go deal with this darkness. And he he had an accent, but he even said, it's like whack-a-mole. You whack it one place and it'll pop up again. You have to stay on top of it. And so, you know, with his accent, he's like, it's like whack-a-mole, you know? <laughs> so it was like whack-a-mole. As soon as that happened, this dark energy came into that, that uh, ceremony circle. And, you know, I, for sure, I ended up extricating myself from that. And I still think that there's someone out there. This person is practicing, you know, running ayahuasca circles. It is a, she's, she's a darkie, you know? So anyway, another thing that happened with him and that, you know, that oddly it, it made a YouTube video, uh, it got posted on some, you know, website in Iquitos, some like, makeshift news site where um some guys on some dirt bikes riding in the mud with a camera went and found his body and stuff it was really wild. Wow. Yeah, wow. it was crazy. And then So is that
1: what you mean by they lost track of him? Like physically lost track of him?
3: Well, he was at a uh he was at a retreat center but you know, then all of a sudden the story just goes very weird. First, it w- we heard that he was found on a path, then he was found in his room. You know, everybody had a different story. You know, the ayahuasca trade down there or uh, the ayahuasca tourist trade down there is uh, uh, big. So I don't think they wanted any. I-, I personally don't think that he was drinking ayahuasca. I think it was Tohei. And it's very, very powerful, very strong, and in the wrong. Uh, Uh, wrong hands, wrong dosage. It's very, um, it's lethal. So that's what I think happened on the physical level, on the spiritual, I think something else. So, so I, after that, I, you know, I was pretty shook up about that. I tried, you know, I did keep working with the medicine, but I just wasn't totally sure. I needed some answers. I don't know that I've ever gotten the answers. However, um, I decided to do a dieta um, in honor of him. I also went and did some Vipassana meditation. He, he had told me, I really want you to do Vipassana when he was here. And so shortly after I went and did my first retreat, my first Vipassana retreat, and, you know, he was right. It was, you know, I've done a couple of cents and there there's really something extremely powerful there. Um, you know, it's a whole other topic, but Uh anyway, um, I decided to do a dieta, uh, a plant dieta sort of in honor of him. And um, when I did that, um, I had had this experience where um, I was have, doing a, what's called a limpia bath. You take some, it, it's essentially any plants that you feel drawn to, but you could take some sacred plants, flowers, herbs, whatever, put it in a bath and it's sort of like a, a, a spirit body cleansing. Um, and so I had had this special mixture of Olympia uh uh flowers and stuff in this bath. And so I was sitting in the bath and he just came to mind, you know, I thought, you know, like Alfonso, he'd be his name was Alfonso, he'd be really like stoked that I'm doing a um a dieta and and you know doing the Olympia baths and stuff. And um all of a sudden this um this like old washcloth thing that was up on the shaving mirror above the bath it fell on my head and it had been there for weeks, you know, like how it fell off I have no idea because it was like it was like this sort of loofah thing that was like dried in the shape of the shaving mirror had been up there for way too long and there's no way it should have fallen off, but it falls off. And I just look at it. And I'm like, what, what the actual, you know, like, like it got knocked off onto me, you know? And so, and then I just felt inspired. I was like, I got to go look on my computer. I don't know why I got to go check my email. And so I checked my email and there was this, uh, solicitation for this ayahuasca ceremony with these Colombian shamans. And I didn't sign up for this newsletter. I have no idea why it came to me. And, um, so I signed up for a retreat, like right then I got my wallet and I'm like, okay, I'm going. And so I ended up going to this and there was 10 shamans. It was, it was a huge ceremony, um, and circle and, and, um, I, leading up to this, I had drank the medicine several times since he passed, but I was getting absolutely no effects. I would have take drink after drink and I would just sit there and had would, nothing. So I thought that there was some sort of block. And I talked through an interpreter to these shamans and said, you know, can you grow immune to this? You know, like what's going on? And they laughed at me and ah, ha, ha, gringa, you know? And um, so for sure, they gave me a very, very large drink and I had a very deep experience and that's a long story. However, they, the shamans, they sing these Icaros in ceremony and I could hear my shaman's voice in their voices. And so I took that as a sign that, um, that he was okay and that he had moved to a place where, you know, there there wasn't darkness. And so then the next day there was like a, question, you know, questions for the shaman, if, you know, if you, we had any through the interpreter and, um, you know, I had said, you know, I, I thought I heard, you know, the shaman I was working with. And so, uh, they agreed. They knew that he was there. They said, of course he's here. Like, why would you, why would you question such a thing? Uh, yes, we know he's here. We knew he was here. And so then I asked, well, what, like, what now where is he and um they they like talk to each other and you know uh, and then um through the interpreter they said well he wants you to know that there is a new plant in the amazon that is that he's that he started essentially that his energy started this new plant in the amazon so uh might seem like a maybe not that big a deal to me but that all of that combined was able i was able to put it to rest However, what I learned through it was, um there's some dark shit out there, you know, even though I already knew that just because you're working with these plant medicines and stuff doesn't mean that it, uh, you know that any place is necessarily immune to i mean look like look at the Catholic Church, like <laughs> they're supposedly doing a good thing, and there's like you know one of the darkest places on the planet, so I think there's a if there's a lot of light going on, then there's an infiltration that happens and so you know, my shaman is right. It's like whack-a-mole. And so, you know, not to get preachy, but I think in each of our individual lives, we have to continually, you know, sort of restake our flag every day in the, in the, in the sand and say what side we're on. And that's what I had to do in the night terrors um, is say, no, I'm like, absolutely. I'm I'm I'll, I'll never succumb to the dark ever. You know, I, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, that's that's great. I was going to ask you if you had communicated
1: with him at all, like even, um, me, you know, mediumship wise, or or just tried to sort of reach out or visit him in the other realms or anything. But yeah, that's interesting
3: through the through all the shamans. So, like with the mediumship, it's very hard to read for yourself uh, because you don't know if you're just calling things from memory, or if you're reading for, or if I'm reading for someone close to me, it's, it's very hard. It's uh, so reading for strangers or people that are more distant that, you know, pulling stuff out that can be actually validated as, as something that I couldn't possibly know. So, so for me to like try and reach him, um, as I've been doing more and more training, with mediumship, you know, with the courses that I take and, um, you know, cause I've, I've worked on it in the last few years and um, I do some fairly regular courses at the Arthur Findlay college yeah, and um, yeah, spiritualism. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. So um, what happens a lot is he will come through to other student, other student mediums and other mediums that I've spoken to. And he's unmistakable the way he comes through he such a unique personality and um, you know, uh, unique, uh, uh, you know, like where he was from, and how he was, and how he looked, and you know his name. I've had uh, other mediums come through with like his name and stuff, and so, so I, like he I, he makes his presence known. I believe, you know, sort of unmistakably. So, how um, long has it
1: been since he passed?
3: It was 2016. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So, anyways,
1: yeah. So that's that. That's that story. <laughs> Fantastic. So what are you up to uh, lately then? Mediumship wise, like you're doing that. and
3: Yeah. 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 I've been uh, like, so in the normie life, I've been really super busy. So when I get too, too busy and like in the grounded world, then uh, I, I feel like I, I get grumpy. You know, and then I'll have to, like, tell people that, like, I, I can't come today because I need to, like, you know, work with some, you know, with with some people like with the mediumship and stuff like that, because um, I, it's not like, you know, I, I make uh, I make my money with art, you know. And so, like, you know, a lot of people's pastime or, or hobby is art, but it's the other way for me, like the hobby and the, the mediumship is more of a, my spiritual pursuit, like my way of being in service, I guess so um well what's yeah.
1: the art what's the art world like right now? It must be kind of weird, too, with everything. I mean, I feel like that whole art creativity world is is very sort of teetering on uh I don't
3: well know. so like art and creativity and art world, like making money are two different things like uh if you can follow that, like people that are a success in the art world aren't necessarily good artists. So like Hunter Biden is a perfect example, <laughs> you know? just like every, you know, you could say even like there's, I believe there's just so much corruption everywhere. And I've was disgruntled with the whole LA art scene a long time ago. So for, for me, like I joke that I'm just an art whore, you know, like if you you want me to like, you know, come you know, uh distress your cabinet. I'll do that. Or I have somebody ask me if I could pickle the wood on their porch. And I was like, inside my head, I'm like, the fuck is pickling. But then I Google it and I'm like, yeah, sure, I could do that. I watched some YouTube. And I'm like, sure, I'll come pickle your porch. <laughs> you know, um, I don't do so much of the faux finishes anymore. Like it's a lot of commercial murals and paintings. I had a lot of, you know, painting commissions and stuff and make some of my, uh, you know, own art, you know, do some ceramics and um, that kind of thing as well. Sometimes, and I also teach art, so you know, I've I've definitely. It's more like Normie career, though. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Like when I get the time, you know, a lot of the sort of fine art that I do is very sh- shamanic based, and there's a limited market for that. But I don't care. I don't give a shit. You know, that's. That. <laughs> I was going to ask you about fine art, but that's a whole other show. Probably, <laughs> if there's
1: if there's a whole conspiracy of money laundering and
3: oh hundred percent so <laughs> oh my god when you're talking that kind of money, I mean it's it's not even about it's not even about the art anymore. So I mean you know I think you probably figured it out that I'm I'm pretty cynical when it comes to a lot of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah exactly like that. You know yeah. I just don't trust. Yeah. I don't
0: trust some our listeners find find your art, huh? Where can our listeners find your art?
3: Hmm. Well, because I have a different name uh, as an artist than the than the name that I go by here. Um I I tend to be a little more um reluctant to say be, well, mostly because uh, you know, if, uh there's a whole side of my life that would probably um you know, probably call the white coats on me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what I'm saying? So, um, and then, you know, the other thing, like with the mediumship, um, I for sure, you know, like on my website, I, I will charge for that. I will also, you know, if somebody really wants that, I don't, have to, if I've got the time and I can do it, like, because I love doing that. And that's where I am in service. So people will be like, oh, well, you know, you're trying to get rich off of that. No, <laughs> never, you know, I make, I make, uh, you know, I it's a, it's a, I guess it's a different mindset. Cause I do know people like I, I have a quote friend who's a Reiki master and she's a terrible person. You know, and that's what she does for money. I'm like, you're so full of shit. You know, <laughs> she's a terrible person. So, you know, I'm not that, you know, like with the mediumship, I I find it sacred. However, you know, t- time is money, you know, like, and also people want to pay for services that they find a value, you know? So I, I don't know. It was a kind of roundabout question to not answer the question about that. No, where, no, that's the
1: okay. well, where, where did we find your mediumship then?
3: Uh. At my uh, that website is called WhitneyFoxMedium.com. and then I've got a little IG that's TricksterFox Seven. All if right. anybody wants to say hey or reach out or anything, and maybe maybe we can have you
1: back on when you find the new plants in the Amazon.
3: We can talk about that. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that's ever going to come around again. Might I don't know. Right on. Thanks. This has been great.
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Whitney. Sorry I was late, but that was a great chat.
3: Yeah, yeah. I didn't get to talk much with you, Darren, but I listened to you guys a lot, so I'm super stoked to come and hang with you.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's been a blast.
3: Yeah, cool. All right, take care. Thank you. Ciao. Bye.
2: I'm so far away, but I can't escape. It's raining down on my eyes, so I'm gonna climb to the top of the world But sometimes you have to find the bottom